iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you all up and running, Kate? I can't hear myself. I can hear myself. <clears throat> Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful, wonderful, marvellous, lovely. So we are... One day to go, one sleep to go, to the coronation, Jane. I know, and we've never been able to say that before, have we? No. Because even I wasn't alive in 1953. Well, you pretend, but <laughs> you've actually I... aged very well. Well, yes. Um, no, I really want. I'm just trying to think. So, no, I wasn't even thought my parents hadn't even... Well, actually, they had met, but they weren't going out. Do yeah. your parents ever talk about that coronation? Can, do you know where they watched it uh, or heard yeah, well, about I it? Well, I do know. So my dad was doing national service. In fact, it cropped up last week when I saw them. Uh, he was doing national service in Nottinghamshire and he was on duty and they didn't watch it because they couldn't. He was doing some... I think he, he, God knows, he talks about this a lot, but I don't always listen. It's a terrible thing to say. He was in a radar establishment, so they were watching the skies over Nottinghamshire. It's all back to apocalyptic. Anyway, uh, that, so that's what he was doing. And my mum went with my nan and granddad round to a neighbour's who had a telly and they all gathered together in a room and watched a really tiny screen. Mm. Yes. Gosh. What about you? Well, I did ask my mum about it, actually, the other night. And she said uh, she would have been, you know, really quite young at the time. They didn't... I don't think they had a television to gather around. But she thinks that actually it's one of those strange memories because she then saw so much of it detailed throughout her life in clips and whatever. Mm. She feels like she probably she did, did watch the whole it. three yeah. hours. But she did say that she was a very, very big fan of the modernisation that has at least halved the amount the of time. Because she said it just uh, it just went on and on. And on and on, and, and on. and on and on. And on and on and on. I mean, it was over three hours long, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It, it was absolutely ludicrously long. And also, I think... If we were to see it, and the only time I've really ever seen it is... Have you been to see the Crown Jewels at the Tower of London? Yeah. Um, they show the Queen's coronation on a kind of loop as you enter the Crown Jewels and the Crown Jewels exhibition. And um, it's just a sea of white faces, which happily is something I don't think we're going to see tomorrow. I think it, they are making an effort to make this much more diverse. I think we might be surprised as well by what everybody turns up in. Uh, because we might have uh, Kate, the Princess of Wales, with uh, a garland of flowers instead of a Can pinned tiara. I don't think it, I think it'll be a tiara. Do you? I mean, okay. As you know, I literally have no expert expert advice at all to give, but I'd be surprised if it was flowers. 
Well, let's prepare to be surprised. I suppose we could be. Yeah. Well, we'll be surprised on Times Radio, won't we? Because that's where we're going to be. Absolutely. And we have been delving into what we hope are some interesting people's thoughts, uh, memories, conjecture and opinion all about the coronation over the last week. And one of the guests who we have entertained at Times Radio headquarters is Emma Bridgewater, who founded her ceramics company in 1985. And over the course of those decades between then and now, uh, Emma Bridgewater has commemorated some very, very significant, nearly all of the significant royal events. So uh, I'm sure, can you picture the cups, the spongeware that she oh, yeah. makes? Yes, absolutely. So it's quite, a, it's quite a thick uh, yeah. cup, isn't yeah. it, that I think defines uh, Emma Bridgewater. You can get them small, medium and large. And everything from the uh, announcement of the engagement of Sarah the Duchess of York and Prince Andrew. I think that was her first one. She talks it about really? it in the interview uh, all the way through to now. And quite a few people have collected the whole thing. I think there are well over 30 pieces, nearly 40 maybe, that you can put together, should you wish. But anyway, she also slightly knows them, so that's fun too. Okay. Isn't it? Well, let's hear her. So she began by telling us about the very special range that she's designed for the King's coronation. Well, we started with the spongeware design. That was working with my ex, Matthew Rice. We still designed together quite a bit. And for me, spongeware's the best. But then he did a lovely sort of narrative mug with sort of scenes from the king's life, his palaces, his dogs, his garden, that kind of thing. And then there's a very, my favourite probably, actually, is the one that harks back to that lovely mid-century stuff that Guyatt and Revilius did at Wedgwood. So it's um, horizontal stripes in deep colours and it says three cheers for King Charles. Now I'm in particular thinking of the half pint mug. Yeah. Yeah, so which one... We're big on half pint mugs. Which <laughs> which of those designs you've just described would I be finding on a half pint mug? You can mug? get all of those. All of those. Because half pint mugs are really basically where it's at. But the three cheers one, you can get a small mug for a nice little cup of mint tea or something like that. Or if you've got a big party, I recommend small mugs because otherwise the teapot's empty all the time. And then there's a lovely pint mug for a sort of perfect pens on your desk or the man in your life. Or, or just a very thirsty day. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Do you have to ask the permission of the member of the royal family who you are designing something around? Do you know it never crossed my mind? I did know that if I wanted... What I found out a long time ago, actually, because I did my first commemorative piece in 1986, just after I started, I mean, a couple of years after I started the business. And what I established was that you have to ask the Lord Chancellor for permission to use the monarch's image. It felt to me like suddenly I'd scooted back to the 50s, or even it was still early in the 60s, when you had to ask the Lord Chancellor. He had to read your play before it went on in the West End. And I thought, I, it's not like that anymore, is it? I won't do that kind of thing. So for... That long ago wedding, I did hearts and anchors. And ever since, for every commemorative mug we've done, and we've done many, no baby or wedding or jubilee passes that we don't commemorate, I just um, go for it. So we for the Queen's 60th anniversary, we wrote 60 Years a Queen. It was a huge success, and apparently she didn't mind. So did you ever mind in that kind of artistic moment that you couldn't use the image of a person? No, I like words, actually, probably more. And portraits are quite constraining and dating, whereas the sort of sentiments of whether it's affection or humour or loyalty or whatever, they're much more sort of flexy and perennial, I think. 
And which is your favourite design out of all of those you've done so far? I think 60 Years a Queen was a pretty good winner. But I'm very, very pleased with these. There's Actually, there's a fourth design, a very simple one, which just says, God Save the King. And sometimes simple's all you need, isn't it? And when you first started out, did you imagine that this was going to be such a fruitful artistic and commercial vein for you? I, you know, listen, when I started out, I knew nothing. But I was, I was very enthusiastic. And I had always loved China, both my grannies in different ways. One quite sort of boho, the other quite posh. Had kind of inculcated a lot of ideas about China. And my mum's mum, the more boho of the two, she kind of she introduced me to the V&A and all London's museums when I was very young and said, you know, darling, this is, these are all here for you. And so I did know a lot, quite a lot about the sort of panoply of British making and British China. And so I had seen, and also there were loads at home. I did a rough count, sort of round up the other day and I stopped at 20. And I wasn't even conscious of Victoria and um, sort of all the Georges. I was getting a bit muddled. But the, the George V, George VI, Edward VIII, you know, all they just had sort of accumulated, whether it was my one belonged to my great aunt, one to... Most of them had been my mum's, I think, probably, with toothbrushes in them and that kind of thing. Mm. But what I learned subsequently as I kind of dug into the subject and started to look at them, it's always been a thing in Staffordshire. It's a huge, it's really important earner for the county. Royal events mean jobs in Stoke-on-Trent. And I don't think there's any need to make any bones about that. And do you actually know the royal family, Emma? Only through work, let's say. I had a very surprising call one day, a long time ago, in the office... And someone shouted across the office, M, M, someone who says he's the Prince of Wales. I think it's Nipper messing around. <laughs> I picked up the phone and Nipper, and it wasn't Nipper, it was the Prince of Wales. And we started talking about pottery then. He's a man of so many ideas, and so many of them very, very good. He wanted someone to do something that was felt like Weems pottery, which he likes very much. And so we've sort of talked about pottery over the years. He's a terrific supporter, and I really admire the way he knows this country so well. And he comes to Stoke often, and he's toured our factory twice, and our quite robustly fairly Republican workforce, they weren't going to give in readily, but he just totally charmed everybody, and it had a magic feeling of the coronation is the ultimate version of it, of us all being included in something with a, some kind of perennial glamour. And does he really know his stuff when he comes to see you in the factory? Do you get a sense that you're talking at kind of eye level with somebody who understands your business and what you do? You're talking at eye level with someone who really, really wants to be of service, interestingly, who knows the sort of problems of a city like Stoke-on-Trent and is hugely sympathetic, who will know all the nicest local buildings. And so do you get a sort of, there's always a lot to talk about and it's fun and easy. Hmm. Do you know if he's got a full collection of your commemorative mugs and pieces? Um, I don't know that he absolutely... I think his taste is not necessarily for Emma Bridgewater. (laughs) How do you Uh, know that? Because we talked about (laughs) it. I mean, he likes more formal or more painterly. I think that spongeware isn't his bag. And funnily enough, I really think that we are, to a huge extent, a girl's brand. Do you? Yeah, I do. About 90%. But I think the the mugs are quite, uh, I mean, forgive me if this is an insulting thing to say, they're quite chunky, aren't they? They're not... That just feels nice when you find little finger up. There's no cooking your little finger with my mugs. That would be silly. Nevertheless, I think that the whole field of kitchen china, or even, you know, posh china if you still have that, 
is quite a female. I mean, it's, I think that's our business by oh. and large. In, if I if I stand in the factory yard where I was yesterday. The, I mean, what I see, my best is three generations of women in the same family all shopping away like mad for each other and their friends. But it is predominantly women and some long-suffering men with very long arms and who give me a bit of a beady look and say, I've already extended the kitchen twice. <laughs> and do you provide those chairs for the men to sit down in uh, like they do in John Lewis outside the women's changing rooms? Yes, absolutely. No, and I got a really great one yesterday. Um, it's a sweet farming couple and their thing was... He'd wanted to go to JCB and she said, fine, as long as we can go to Emma Bridgewater. There you go. So it's just down the road. A lovely marital day out. One exactly. How do you feel about the changing uh, relationships within the royal family? Because some of your commemorative work uh, celebrates marriages that no longer obviously exist. I think mm. you did make something for the wedding of Sarah Ferguson yeah, that was and Prince Andrew. Yeah, mm. your first one. So when things like that change, what does it mean to somebody who's actually recognised that as a part of history in their work? Well, then you've got that historical artefact. In a way, it makes it more interesting. That divorce happens, doesn't it? I mean, well, it I've does. done it. Yeah. My parents did it. When I went to school, I was probably the only child with divorced parents. And most of my children's friends parents had married several times i mean it's it's so commonplace now does it, it makes it sort of even more relatable doesn't it well i, I think mean. so yeah. yeah i mean it's certainly that that is you know not not perhaps the uh, the largest element of shame that might be attached to that particular person within the royal family at the moment either so i mean if we just talk honestly about prince andrew and his place in it is that slightly distasteful for you to have commemorated somebody no. No, no. The marriage was a small royal milestone and it felt, it felt like a hopeful thing to do. The fact that it hasn't worked out for him is a pity. Actually, strangely, that looks like a very long and strong friendship. So perhaps it was right and perhaps it was kind of prefiguring a, a strong relationship. I think one of your most descriptive mugs uh, is for Harry and Meghan, isn't it? Which has got like a beautiful a sentiment on it. Can you... Tell our listeners what to, it I is. can remember well suited because I was desperate to get the word suit in. I can't remember what else it I says. Said. Game changers, yeah. free spirits, hearts, well suited. That's very lyrical, isn't it? I love playing with words on pottery. And I felt, I mean, I feel a huge sense of loss about them. And I, I'm actually really optimistic that it might all come right. Families all scrap. My family, we're really good at it. I'm one of, I was one of eight siblings. There's always some action going on somewhere but you've got to get over yourself every now and then go to the party together so i'm i hope you might just jump on a plane at the last minute do you oh gosh yes do you but think i'm that kind of complete optimist and romantic okay yeah do you think she's made the right decision though megan and not coming but just because of the distraction no that, as i say i think be... family all in whatever you're feeling I mean, in a way, the typical scene at a family party, <laughs> there's always some politics going on and that's part of the fun. I think stepping out of it's probably a mistake, but that's only because I like drama and I love, I love the eye of the storm. I mean, it's a good place to be. But tiny children, it's exhausting. I, I don't blame her for not wanting to wrangle them at the wedding. Mm. Wedding? Oops, coronation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coronation, Emma. It's, it's definitely a coronation. coronation. This is actually what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, is found. the uh, commemorative piece specifically for the Queen, for Camilla? No, not on her own. No, no. It's actually it's all been about him. But that's okay. It's plenty of time. More mugs to come. And will you carry on 
with the commemorative mugs. Oh, good Lord, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. They're a fun thing to do. And given that I don't see there being any sort of restrictions aesthetically, I just want to do something that strikes the right note that makes people smile and feel good. I was very interested by the commercial aspect of your collections. Uh, what is the fastest selling piece that you have oh, made? The Queen. The Queen, After yeah. she died, the, the, the spongeware mug that we issued... And Matthew and I designed it before the funeral, but there was absolutely no question of it going into production until after the funeral. But then we sprang into action. And being able to... Making in England is a beautiful thing. Making you know, short supply lines uh, just makes such good sense. It was on sale till three days later. And that's exciting. And it sold and sold and sold and sold. There was a brilliant moment. I was doing something else in the factory, walked through the decorators... And the factory manager said, oh, you know, we're done. we've done with the Queen mugs. We've made a huge number. And I said, no, no, don't stop. Do not stop. And we sold something like 10 times as many as the team had first said. I have a very, very strong conviction that we wear our loyalty in a rather secretive way. A lot of the business happens very, very, very close to a royal event. So you've got to have nerves of steel to make a million pounds worth of stock. And most people don't. But I really, really believe in... I think it's such a relief to find something that we all do together. And even if, if my children weren't completely disinterested, I'd be a bit shocked by them. Of course, they and, you know, their friends are not interested. But I think it... I mean, as you get older, you can see that continuity is great. And how does... And this may sound like a terrible question of a servant <laughs> of the country to ask, but uh, how do the sales of Charles's pieces compare to sales around his mother? Well, I think he's probably going to overtake her in the end. I mean, with this, it's following a more known pattern. No, I mean, we started selling these as soon as they were out. And it's, it's been incredible the last few days. Just absolutely. It's very moving. We're such an ironic people, aren't we? We, we are steeped in irony. We like things that we really care about. We like to make jokes about and we, we kind of like to distance ourselves from but you suddenly see the sort of bunting frenzy that's that's mounting. I think there'll be you know, there'll be a very nice togetherness feeling for a few days, and it's so great to not be to not be scrapping about something. For mm. a while. And what do you think the Carolean age will bring in in a kind of long view, actually, mm. to the country? Well, obviously, he's been spot on about environmental environmental emergency. Wouldn't it be amazing if his Rain was characterised by a really big sea change and a proper political focus. And a, when I was saying it's very nice, one of the best things for me about, about a royal event is the way we can come together briefly. What's needed to make any impact on the environmental challenge is for us to come together with lots of other nations. I really wanted him to go to COP. I thought that would have been absolutely fine and splendid. Break that, you know, that's the one bit of politics that he should be absolutely rampaging around it. And do you think he's going to find it very frustrating? You know, he's the kind of guy who just phoned you up when he wanted to ask you about something. That will have to change now, won't it? And he's said, you know, that he will very much honour the constitution within which a monarch has to live. But as a person who actually believes in these things mm. and has spent such a long time agitating from the sidelines, is he going to find that too frustrating, maybe not not actually managed to do it. I, just, I mean, if I think about it, it makes I, I feel very, very sort of hot and itchy at the thought of having to be 
silenced would be terrible. But I have a feeling, I mean, such a bizarre idea that you wait 70 years for your career to start. But maybe if that does happen, an advantage is that you have time to work a lot of stuff out of yourself. He's done a huge amount. He's worked incredibly hard. And he's about to go through a very sort of solemn process, isn't he? I mean, the ceremony is... I, I can't get sort of eerily excited about it, but it, there, there is a moment in the Abbey where you know that whatever your politics, this is a very, very, very long, con- continuous line. The continuity of it is powerful. Perhaps, perhaps that helps to sort of create a different state of mind. We we have lots of unrealistic expectations, don't we? And then we love kind of pointing out the mistakes. I mean, it's not just him. We all love sounding off, don't we? <laughs> yes, and I think more than ever. Uh, actually, uh, just, you know, we as normal people and punters, we do expect quite a lot of comeback now, don't we? The age of deference mm. and mm. silence, mm. I think, is, is very it's much funny, gone. It's funny, isn't it? I think we'd like to hear quite often. And it's, it's, I'm not sure quite who it is that's holding him to account. Well, I suppose it's anyone who disagrees. Yep, maybe at any given point. he will surprise us all. Uh, final question. Do you have any glorious commemorative tat in your house? I would like to confess to you, Emma, I do have several of your mugs, oh, but I also, my pride and joy, uh, it was bought on the eBay and it was two cups commemorating the Queen's Diamond Jubilee from the batch where they spelt it wrong and they're commemorating <laughs> the Diamond Jubilee. And uh, I think I bought them for £32 each and I think they're now worth £28 each. So that's my stunning investment. <laughs> but obviously I love them because they're daft. Do you have the same kind of thing anywhere? I, no, I don't think I do. Um, what I absolutely wish I had was something I saw in the Museum of Brands, fantastic place in Notting Hill, was a Jubilee Capri. And there was a silver Capri for the Queen's silver Jubilee. That what, would a be car? About, yes. <laughs> Well, because we made cars in this country. The Capri was the kind of, it was trying to be, uh, you know, very sort of whizzy American. Oh, it was a sexy old car, wasn't it? Well, I had one for a bit. (laughs) How to make friends in low places. But a Jubilee Capri, I wish we had. I wish we had, you know, lots of British cars. Okay, so you've just still got the authentic George V tooth mug somewhere (laughs) in the house. (laughs) Yeah, slightly chipped. Uh, will you be joining in the Oath of Allegiance uh, during the coronation? Um, definitely not out loud. But somewhere. Uh, I, yes, deep I mean, I'm, you know, I'm someone who queued to pay my respects in, um, after the Queen died. And that was, it was a great experience. It was, it was absolutely marvellous. Um, but I, no, I, won't be, I won't be standing saluting the telly. But I love the idea that we're all going to be shouting at the telly. Because it is obviously what we do, isn't it? <laughs> VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on, settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Just before the break, you heard from Emma Bridgewater. You're listening to a special off-air podcast uh, looking ahead to the coronation. They're all special, but this one is a little bit extra special because it comes... Covered in coronation glitter and glitz, a little bit like the tiny decorations that were added to the Marks and Spencer Colin the Caterpillar coronation cake that we tried earlier in the week. We've been making a special effort, haven't we, to eat as much uh, coronation cobblers as we can get our hands on. We've had very disappointing coronation biscuits, but they came in a nice tin. They're a bit dry. Uh, and I don't know how we're going to celebrate the actual event. We, well, I'm going to bring my flan, but you don't really want to taste my flan, do you? Jacob rees has come out anti-flan. I'm a little... Does I'm, that not put you off? Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I think if he tasted mine, it'd change his mind. Jacob, if you're listening, I'll give you Fee's address. Now, our next guest is Julie Montague. If you're on the Instagram, you might know her rather better as the American Viscountess. Innocent American woman came over to Britain and found love with a man who, as it turned out, happened to be a Viscount. Here she is telling us about the moment she found out who it was she'd fallen for. When he paid for it with his credit card, I did say to him, why does your credit card say Viscount Hinchingbrook? And he did kind of look at me a little bit horrified, saying it's Viscount. I'd never even heard the word Viscount before. And then, of course, I proceeded to say, I don't understand why it would be Viscount. It's spelled exactly like discount. And did that make him, when you found out about who he was, did it make him more or less attractive? I was very naive about aristocracy. I'm going to be perfectly honest here. When I came over here, only thought the royal family existed. I did not know that there were other dukes, other earls, other viscounts. So it didn't make it more attractive because I didn't even know what the aristocracy was. I'd only been in this country for a year had no idea that that whole world existed. Clearly, I hadn't even been a part of it. Well, in truth, most of us who are British don't understand much about that world and about what goes on and about how people within those circles behave. So um, tell us what it's been like for you to navigate this quite bizarre system. It is a bizarre system. That's exactly right. And and But for me, I'm, I feel I'm rather fortunate because the family I married into is absolutely brilliant you know my father-in-law is still a hereditary peer in the house of lords uh he was one of the 90 something that were voted in he's a crossbencher earl of sandwich uh loveliest in-laws i 
could have ever even asked for. So I, I didn't have that sort of snobbery that I know uh, does still exist in, in that, you know, and I, and I mean a, a small percentage, but it, it does still exist in, in the aristocracy. And I think it should. So, but you never felt looked down upon by anybody you met in those circles? It, within my family, absolutely not. Within the circles, yes, there were, there have been absolutes, uh, uh, absolutely occasions where as soon as somebody hears your American accent within that circle, you can, you can just see sort of the, almost a sort of a look of, I don't know. But they they flinch, do they? They flinch exactly. So uh, there has been I have been a receiver of snobbery uh, in the past, but that's a uh, you know for the majority of the aristocracy and and the friends that we have, they're incredible and they're hardworking people. It's times have changed, you know. Most of us have these historic houses that are open to the public, and we are hands on. And you, you there is a house in in your family. Yes. Um, you know, where is it? It's in Dorset, West Dorset. And is it what a castle or a? Well, the the castle was lost in 1955. Uh, like many historic houses after the Second World War, economically it couldn't um, could make it work. My husband's grandfather, so he sold. It's now a school, and bought a, a smaller house, which is a manor house connected to some land that had been still in the family. But we we've had this award since 2006 from Country Life the nation's finest manor house. And wow, that's... Okay. So, so we are open to the public. It's a fine Elizabethan. Right. And that's a job. It is a job to maintain it. I mean, I just, before I came here, I got my first manicure in probably like about three months, I would say. And they asked me what was on my nails. And I said, it's a mixture between green paint, red paint, and black floor um, stain because I've just re renovated nearly single-handedly a room in the house, the archive room, the muniment room, from it, stripping the floor. So yes, I'm very... Your hands on. Okay, I'm getting the message. And you've also, you kind of make a living out of being yourself, the American, what is your, your handle? Yeah, American, American Viscountess. Yeah, yes. so you play with the whole idea of it. Well, why not? Well, why not? And, you know, Bridgerton really helped me because I think a lot of people like me did not know how to pronounce it until... Whatever season it was, yeah. Bridgerton, when the Viscount meets the Viscount, yes. thank goodness for that. Yeah, happily ever after, or is it? I can't remember. <laughs> well, for me it is. Yeah, okay, uh, but let's worry about it. I hope for that, too. Yeah, okay. So um, the, your backstory does give you actually quite a unique insight into how the Duchess of Sussex, for example, might have coped with the circumstances she found herself in. Now, uh, what, do you, what do you think about, because you and I happened, I think, to have both been at their wedding, not as get. I certainly wasn't there as a guest. I was reporting. So were so you. Okay, good. Just just making clear. Um, but it was such a happy, positive day, and not that long ago. It's five years ago. Right. So we're coming up to two thousand and eighteen. Do you remember that day? Beautiful blue sky, incredible weather. Oh, the atmosphere was energized. Yes, it was. It, the the service, the ceremony, and her bringing in elements of her heritage her background her americanism the, the gospel choir all of her stuff it was sensational and i think everybody thought brilliant she is going this couple is going to help modernize the monarchy but just like that and here we are it's sad isn't it actually it is sad because i think they 
had a chance. I'm not saying I don't understand what they've gone through, but I think that they could have had this enormous chance, platform, opportunity to really um, do good, incredible work. They are doing good, incredible work as well, but even a bigger. So who do you think might have got it wrong? Her or them or both? I think in this type of situation, it's, uh, you know, the truth has no sides. And I don't think any of us really know 100% the truth. So I always try to look at it from both sides that there must have been hiccups and a little bit of mess ups on both sides. And it's whether or not they can come together and recognize that and reconcile that. It doesn't look likely, does it? It doesn't because, as you said, it's, um, you know, it, it went wrong. And we know that there hasn't been a reconciliation yet, at least with Megan, because she is not coming to the coronation. And that is, that's a huge sign. Well, it may also have come as a relief to the royal family, I suspect. I suspect you're right. I think it has dominated headlines now since the Oprah interview uh, back in 2021. So that is, we're going on two years that they have dominated headlines. And I think this is a time of celebration. Uh, we've, you know, the country and the world has mourned the death of Her Late Majesty the Queen, and now it's a time for celebration. But we know that the issues that they have, Meghan and Harry, are with those members of the family, Prince Charles, Queen Consort Camilla, uh, uh, King Charles. King Charles. Yeah. Well, it's still an easy mistake to make. Yeah. And and Prince William and even um, the, the, you know, Princess Kate. I think the, the difficulty for for the King, I'm assuming here, is that Harry was critical of uh, the Queen, because uh, we now must learn to call her the Queen, I guess, Camilla. Yes. Uh, currently, I think she's still the Queen Consort until the coronation, um, because he was critical of her, and that probably isn't very easy for him. And I'm not quite sure how anyone's going to get over that. I think that is the million-dollar question. How do you get over something that has brought been broadcast to the world in a book that has sold more copies than any other non-fiction book. It's quite a statement, isn't it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's all there. Yeah. And it's detail. It's, you know, it's right down to the detail of conversation. Have, have you read the book? I have read uh, extracts yeah. of the book. Now, I didn't go entire through, but, you know, I, I've, yes, I, I have it. And I've. Well, there are so I've read it, and there are some extraordinarily intimate family details in there that I cringed when I read them. And I'm not saying that Harry is wrong. I'm not even saying he's wrong necessarily to have written it. But it is in an extraordinarily detailed account of some deeply personal family issues. Yes, and and you you wonder about that if who sort of pushed him to do that? Was it the therapies he's in? Was it? Random uh, penguin, random house. Oh, was it? Was it Megan? Was it Megan? I think again. I don't know if we'll ever find out that answer. No, we'll find it out. But there is a theory. I'm not saying I believe this for one moment. That Harry is completely in her thrall, and that she has made it very clear that they will live the kind of life she would like to live on her terms, and that some people consider him almost powerless to to resist or to do anything about it. Do you buy that idea? 
I think Megan is, first of all, she's older than Harry, and which is really only a bit. She is a tiny bit. Yeah. yeah. Three, what is it? Three years, yes. She's had a lot of life experience compared to Harry. What I mean by that is, you know, she worked her way up the sort of acting ladder to land a huge role on Suits, which was enormously popular. She is outspoken. She has her views on on politics. She's a feminist. She's independent, uh, uh, financially, securely independent, uh, and did need, if you love the royal family money. So I think she has a confidence in her because she's had to work very hard to get to this point. And do you think misogyny played a part in the way that some people treated her? I do believe that the British tabloid press has had a part to play with how she was treated. I do think that she found it very difficult to be to be here. And when I, when people say, "Oh, she knew what she was getting into," I, oh yeah, well, what do you say I, about that? I and I get asked, I, "She did not." Yeah. I I actually believe her on that because I have married into the aristocracy and. I didn't know what I was getting into. Now, granted, I have, it's completely different. Let's be honest, the aristocracy and the royal family, but still it's that upper class. Well, you've mentioned it yourself that you were, by some people, not your family, but by some people you were treated with a certain amount of scorn and dismissed and you're white. So can can we we talk about her allegations of racism based on your experience? Does she have a point there? And it's very difficult for two white women to talk about this, but but I've, I've mentioned it, so... It's very difficult. I think if she did experience it, she wouldn't have brought it up. That's a massive issue to to stake a claim in if it wasn't true. So I I do believe that, I mean, we can look at the British tabloid press and what they were printing. And we know that Harry put out a statement when they were dating and referenced those articles that were being printed about her. So Mm. absolutely, I... Yes, I do believe that she was getting, you know, horrible tweets as well. I mean, racist tweets about Megan, hate tweets. Would you want to grow up like that? No, I mean, I I wouldn't. And I wouldn't want to bring my children up in that environment. No. no. And I, I think I really hope that they go on to have a very happy and fulfilling life. I really do. And if that means they stay in California, then good luck to them. Um, But I suppose some people fear that... That it may not end happily for them. I don't. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I guess if I sort of sometimes I have to pick this apart for interviews as we're doing now. And there was absolutely something was going on behind the scenes. With we know with the British tabloid press, we know with the royal family. But was it right to put that out in the public domain? I think for many of us, the issue of giving such detail in the Oprah interview, in a six-part Netflix documentary, in the best-selling fiction book of all, non-fiction book of all time, Bam. detail, you then have to ask yourself, how can you possibly reconcile now? How, how can that be? Well, I was going to say, I mean, as a reader, there are now things I can't unknow. Right. <laughs> and it's just, yes. it's sometimes just too much, isn't it? It's, it's too much. And, it, and it's, Family is, for me, I think for many people, family is so important. And sometimes your anger can get the best of you. And perhaps they're so angry that 
they have done the interviews, the yeah. series, will they look back on this in 10 years and think, what the heck have we done? Why did we do that? I don't know. But I, I think many people are assuming that. Can we talk a little bit about um, Camilla, the, the Queen Consort? Because people, I'm 58, sometimes I forget, I'm 58. Princess Diana was hugely significant in my adolescence. I remember the day her engagement to Charles was announced. We were just agog in the common room at school, just the craziest thing. Because we all thought, what is that? She was not, she was three years older than me. What was she doing marrying this significantly older man? And like many people of my generation, I followed her story. And so, um, and I think, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that she will be on the minds of many people of my age and older on the day of the coronation. What, What do you think? She'll be on the minds of many people across the pond as well. Remember, she graced the cover of People magazine, which is our big magazine yeah. in America, more times, even to this day, than anybody else. I think it's like 57 or something. Yeah, She was obviously very loved over here, but incredibly loved in America. And I think it's the same emotion that many Americans will have as well when they're watching this coronation that... Diana, she could have been there or, I mean, I don't know, they divorced and all that, but it, you know, and you see Camilla and you can't help but think that from the panorama interviews, you can't help but think that, go back to that interview and what Diana was saying. There were three people in this room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but of course there are other people, Julie, who will just think, oh, come on, this is ancient history. How many of us have got an instant free personal life? It just, it's just not possible. And let's let's bygones be bygones and let's get behind this couple who clearly make each other happy. And I agree with that in in the sense that, you know, I have uh, did quite a lot of research on Diana and uh, for uh, for another documentary I was working on. And we have to remember that when Diana and Charles married, it was at a time when the monarchy was still stuck. They hadn't evolved. And Charles had to marry the right person not somebody who was divorced that wasn't allowed Mm. somebody who came from blue blood Mm. came from the right aristocratic background and so a chance for him to marry camilla was not even on the table no so he was shown a path and and was told you have to take this path you cannot divert he's obviously made huge concessions thank goodness for his two sons who were able to marry kate middleton you know and yes. and and megan an american who's a divorcee and mixed race he made sure that that path that he had to take chosen by his father would be the same for his two sons that is julie montague the american viscountess can you imagine such a thing fee an American Viscount. <laughs> I feel, no, don't be naughty. I feel that you're dragging me into waters that I don't want to get involved in. So, as we speak, we are just one sleep away from, is it Corrie Bobs? Corrie Bobs. Corrie Bobs. Yes. 
and we're looking forward to being there we're looking forward to your company and we're very much looking forward to reliving it all again next week in some detail you won't be spared anything the toilet arrangements what we got to eat uh how wet we got uh how grumpy people people became you won't hang on trick. hang on what mainly how moved we've been by the sanctity of the ceremony and that and the shifting tectonic plates underneath this currently united kingdom history doesn't come your way every day it's coming our way on saturday please do join us for it on times radio from 10 a.m Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 